This podcast is part of the MyPodcast.com network. Go online right now and get your very own 100% free podcast, MyPodcast.com. Welcome to the CDC Podcast, Episode 3. It is very early in the morning. I am your producer, Demonic Murray, from the blog Graduate School Gamer. Today I have for the cast, Eric Hansen from the blog Elements of Meaning. Hello, Eric. Hello. Justin Caburn from the blog Groping the Elephant. Hello, Justin. Hi. Tellurian from the blog Tellurian's Pet Shop. Hello, Tellurian. Hi there. And, of course, Eric Swain from The Game Critique. Hello once again. We have two Erics this podcast. I'll be referring to uh, you, Eric Swain, as Swain. That's fine. Okay. So today's topic is showing and telling narrative in games. We'll be talking about whether there's a contention between the two, whether one is better between the two, and what we think about if um, a designer decides to tell the narrative through cutscenes versus showing the narrative through exposition in the environment. Uh, so who would like to start? It's actually uh, been talked about in the internet for quite, quite, a, quite a while, but it was only in a recent post where Fear 2 that it came as a contention to this uh, one blogger about that you'd actually have to stop and actually go to a menu if you wanted to see the story because you'd pick up briefcases, you'd pick up files, and then you'd have to pause and read the, through these things if you wanted to know what was going on, which seemed as a real flow breaker to the entire experience and then later Corvus was actually kind enough to send me one of his older posts called uh, on on the topic of show don't tell he starts by explaining the basics of show don't tell through a quick narrative paragraph that explains and shows the differences then he goes on to how video games and different narrative mediums try to mix it up I guess you'd say but video games seem to hold a different sway in that it's very difficult to differentiate the two of show don't tell so to speak whether an interactive cutscene well or whether you want to call the the way half-life 2 tells the story whether that's that's now an interactive cutscene is that now showing or is it is it telling or is it both i think it's more of a spectrum and less of a dichotomy it's not one or the other it can be showing more than telling when extreme of telling would be character monologue saying this is what's going on or a narrator say explicitly telling you what's happening and then the other end you could have more of a half-life model where you sort of witness things and maybe you're not facing the right way um, and it's up to the player to figure it all out for himself but somewhere in between there could be more obvious clues and half-life has scenes where obviously the action stops and sort of gives you a clue that you're supposed to be paying attention to something over here and so it is more of a spectrum and so there are there can be you know, mostly showing, but telling still a little bit. It's usually portrayed as a, an issue of how much you trust your, your reader in uh, writing circles, or in this case, the player. But I think in games historically, it's also a question of how much the designers trust themselves to be able to communicate effectively in less obvious ways. I mean, you brought up Half-Life 2 there, and yeah, there are points. I mean, Episode 2 is the worst, where it doesn't give you a cutscene, but it will just put you in a room that you can't get out of and just throw a load of exposition at you. And it's like, you know, you're standing there watching these... I mean, you can move around and play with stuff, but they're just like, everyone's just going off and talking to each other. And you're supposed to be just paying attention to this exposition and you're basically locked in a room until the exposition's over and you can go out of the room. Arguably, it's showing because you still have control of the camera to move around. It's like, no, we're just going to tell you what's going on, then we're going to let you play. And 
I didn't. I mean, the first time through, I didn't mind them so much because the first time through, they're kind of interesting and you, you want to know what's going on. But after that, you just like you start jumping about and fiddling with stuff on the desk and <laughs> seeing what you can break with the crowbar. Yeah, maybe and maybe showing them would be, or, or rather, more on the on the showing end of the spectrum would be whether if if the characters actually reacted to you fooling around and not paying attention. Um, I don't know about episode two, but in Half Life One, in the first when you meet up with. Uh, Kleiner for the first time, and you start bumping mm. around and stuff. The only place they like acknowledge is that you might be pissing about. I guess their idea is if we acknowledge it once, you hopefully won't do it again. But that, actually, now that brings up a point because really that's just a cutscene where you just happen to stay in the first-person perspective. But if all intents and purposes, that is a cutscene. It comes back to the old argument: like movies, they can use all different, have their own language and have their own ways of showing and not telling. But in games, those same precepts that because cutscenes are basically short movies in between the different points of where you're allowed to play but cutscenes in games are telling rather than showing no matter how well they're done or at least you can see them as that way i have a question about your fear 2 example because you said you have to go into the menu to find out the story i don't know i haven't played it this is what i was just reading um you actually have to pause the game to read it or whatever yeah I've, i've finished it basically what it is is you pick up logs I mean, it's it's not dissimilar to most other games that have text logs. It will open up the menu and read background information on your weapons and things like that. And that's not where the whole story comes through, but it's certainly where most of the probably most of the more interesting bits come through. You have to like actively stop the game and start reading, and then go back to the game. So what we see is not the main narrative being shown through that menu system, but rather the exposition. I know Resident Evil does the same thing with their journals to tell you how this virus is coming about. There'll be I mean, audio logs in Bioshock and things like that, too. They're similar. You have to sort of step away from the game to make it play again if you want to actually pay attention to it. But Bioshock has a mystery element to it, so you could argue that that's part of the well, doesn't fear. mystery. I mean, I you're no sort of investigating in a number of these games, in Resident Evil as well. You're investigating you know, whichever terrorist uh, <laughs> spreading of virus plague thing is going on. Umbrella did it. I think... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fear likes to think it's got a bigger mystery than it actually has. This company's experimenting on this little girl. That's basically what we need to know. Um, yeah, if, if you know the source material of Fear, you, you, you know th- there's no mystery to, to anything. I mean, it's just a, a collection of cliches, so to speak, from other media. So there's not really much of a mystery if you're al- already into the stuff they're quoting, so to speak. So do we prefer the way that these games do it in Half-Life? I'd say would do that in their background instead of notes. But um, Metal Gear forcefully gives you this exposition through their little flash videos between their cutscenes. I mean, I've just recently finished Guns of the Patriots, and I'll admit going in, I was expecting to just get bored senseless of all the exposition and all the cutscenes, and somehow I just bought into it and was like, yep, okay. And it just felt like Kojima was using everything he had, like every possible way of telling a story. You had some environmental storytelling, text things you could look at and read, straight cutscenes, codec conversations. It was like everything he could possibly use, he did. And there's an honesty to that that I appreciate. Stories that have active medium is not always the most effective way of doing it. And so using all the, the other tools he's got seemed like a way of just saying, look, I can tell it through narrative, I can tell it through gameplay, but often for what I want to, the story I want to tell, it's not going to be the best way of doing it. So I'm going to tell it through cutscenes and other you know, codec conversations and things like that because... These are techniques we know work, and for the, the complex story I'm trying to tell, they're the better way of telling them. I would say Kojima is probably 
one of like the true narrative authors of uh, game design. Because if we look at other game designers, when we think of authorship, it's more for the system. If we look at Will Wright, it's more about how they structure their games. I always thought that a lot of game designers are basically taken as auteurs because of the way they design their system. While Kojima, though he is a designer, is more towards this narrative, which we don't get a lot in game design, because he doesn't put a lot of trust in his player, I think. I think he doesn't believe they'll get into it unless he gives them a push on the Metal Gear universe. Well, he is coming from a, a more movie background rather than a programming background that a lot of the great designers do. And I think that may be a very large influence on his style of work. He is a storyteller. He is there to tell you a story. But the thing is, in games, we haven't quite figured out how to do that to take full advantage of the new medium. We're, we're, we're getting there, but we haven't fully realized what or even what type of stories our, our games can tell us. It's sort of uh, throwing everything at the wall and see what sticks. Well, do you see Kojima as successful as using all the tools he has to try to say this narrative in the Metal Gear series? Oh, because whatever right, tools he time, uses, he uses them very well. Like all the movies, all the, like the, full, the FMVs, they look like movies. They, he uses all the abilities of, the, of camera angles, styling, lighting, anything you can use in a movie he uses for those cutscenes. Codec Laws have their own breaks, so they have like the sort of codec movies that go with them. So at least it tries to keep it interesting, keeps you at least visually aware. It's just he also will change up the gameplay to make certain points like the aspect of going through the microwave tunnel or the fight. With Ocelot at the very end, he switches up the gameplay modes just for those specific things to try and get things moving along. So whatever, whether or not these long sections of telling were he uses the techniques to success, at least. I guess my immediate reaction to Metal Gear was, other than the surprise that I didn't find it as annoying as I was expecting to, was that despite everything, he still feels like he needs an editor at times. <laughs> You have these, I mean, he does use these really well-directed, well-shot, well-designed cutscenes, but he has a habit of repeating the same information three or four times. You know, these are the things you need to know. I'm going to tell you again, I'm going to tell you again in a slightly different way, and then I'm going to tell you again in a codec conversation five minutes later. It's true, he doesn't seem to trust that you're going to get what he's on about. It's like he has this, you know, complex story to tell, and that's the most important. The fact that you're playing it is kind of almost getting in the way. Well, he doesn't want to force players to... uh go back to the the old ways of 20 years ago where you had to take notes on a pad of paper next to your computer, mapping out, you know, some labyrinth or something. But have you played, like, the original one for the MSX that came with subsistence? It was like, there is so little told or said at all. It's like the only time the codec ever works in there is when some new gameplay thing comes up and they have to explain to you how to defeat it. Question that kind of comes up here um, when discussing Kojima would be whether that's a, a, a more of a Japanese approach to well showing what it's telling. The thing is, I'm I'm not too well read in recent Japanese games, so um, I think that would be a question worth going into. Well, you could argue it's sort of the visual novel type of thing that they have over there that we don't have here. Oh, the, uh, the, the idea, idea of the interactive cutscenes is a, a new, uh, relatively new thing that came out at the end of the 90s in America from Valve. Essentially, I suppose. I would say that adventure games were essentially interactive cutscenes, even before Half-Life was doing it for the first-person shooter. I could see that argument, although to me, they were just very long puzzle games, which sort of put them in a different category entirely. I'm not sure you could judge them in the same degrees that you do more action-oriented games. Yeah, I mean, the thing about adventure games is they are 
the explicit tell post a show because there's one solution and you find it, it tells you the next bit and then you find the solution to that and it tells you the next bit. I don't know if there were these books that used to be published over here, I don't know if they came in or else, but they were basically like mystery type books and each page had a puzzle and once you completed the puzzle on that page you, you could kind of move on and read the next page. It is, it's just telling you the story but it's gated in terms of unless you open this gate you can't get the next bit. I don't think adventure games are really like a fair comparison in that regard. I mean to bring it back to Half-Life, it was an interactive cutscene and Metal Gear does almost that. I mean the whole thing where you can like press the left trigger to bring up the first person view through some of the cutscenes. It's actually really interesting and really well done but it is really what does it add? If you're going to have a, what's basically a cutscene why don't just make it a proper cutscene? Why throw a bone to the interactive crowd? Because it's probably going to be better as a cutscene than it is some half-interactive thing that doesn't quite work anyway. I suppose the specific example is when you meet Laughing Octopus, is it? Yeah, as you're going around the building, you can hold the trigger in and you can see first person from Snake's point of view as he like leans around the building and looks out and things like that. And that's like really well done, but I'm not sure whether it wouldn't have just been better to have had it cut automatically to a first-person perspective then. You know, it's like nominally interactive, what doesn't seem to be worth the effort. So, are there any um, successful games that have shown narrative without telling? I think Dead Space did that in some uh, in, in some at some points. Um, I mean, there was this Dead Space had had the where, where, where the first encounter was with the baby necromorphs, which was essentially a cloning facility. But you didn't really know how these clones were made, or, or rather, no, it wasn't a cloning facility. This this facility where they where they produced new clones' limbs, and uh, it was basically a huge cloning facility with hundreds of little baby clones on the wall. And that, in a way, was a sort of kind of storytelling through level design which uh, I haven't mm, seen seen done like that before that really struck me because uh, uh, it, it's it's in in the game I mean the, the game does have a lot of exposition through the through the video audio logs text logs and and whatnot but also has these moments where you can actually have a story or, or, the, or the narrative of the level of the ship being told to you through parts of the level a lot of that is the kind of thing that that was done in System Shock, and I mean certainly in Bioshock as well, but System Shock I think probably more so. There's one section you come across uh, a canteen that's basically like full of bullet holes and uh, there's blood on the floor, and and as as you enter you see a ghost and it shows a glimpse of what happened in the canteen and how this chief of security basically put a lot of people up against the wall and shot them. I mean, that's like an element in the world. You, you witness that, so you're told, like, or shown. I don't know how you how put that, the, the ghost appearing and basically showing you what happened is showing you, but it's showing you in a very kind of explicit, this is what happened kind of way. Um, but at the same time, you can see the, narrative, see the narrative embedded in the world yourself, and you can see the blood and see the bullet holes and see the dead bodies. Um, later on, you can then find the audio logs that Bronson, the chief of security, had. It's basically her rationalising how she was at, or why she killed all these people, and it's all about you know for the greater good and all this. And and as you progress further through the level, you find more of the audio logs. So like the further you you explore the level, the further you explore her personality, and the further um her you, you explore her story, and you basically eventually find a situation where there's a security bunker and loads of dead bodies around it, and uh dead guards and more blood, more bullet holes, and you find a body slumped in a corner with, you know, a gun with maybe 
and when you like search them, you find two bullets on them and an audio log, and it's basically Bronson's last stand. I can't remember what I'm talking about, but I believe she basically killed herself, or if not killed herself, then certainly she uh, was the last of the, the security team to go and basically like died saving all the rest of them. Through the space of one level, and the things you picked up and the things you've seen in that one level, you get the story of one character, and System Shock 2 does that quite a lot. Each different level seems to be the story of a different character. One of the one of the interesting thing things is you can um, play the game and actually miss that altogether. Um, I mean, I I remember um, encountering that cafeteria uh, execution scene just on my second playthrough. If we look at Left 4 Dead and Dead Space and System Shock 2, if the player can't subvert this entire narrative, is that successful or not? Well, um, I believe uh, Ken Levine, the uh, Bioshock guy and also the uh, System Shock 2 guy, was talking about this his uh, GDC presentation for uh, I think it was 2008 and he referred to it as the difference between um, pulling the narrative and uh, pushing the narrative how most games will push all the narrative elements at you and just like forcibly tell you everything you need to know and this is what what's important this is what you're going to do whereas games like System Shock 2 Dead Space Bioshock will allow you to pull the narrative in from the world so it's a case of however much of the story you want to invest in they will push enough that you know what you're doing and where you're going and but all the additional elements all the, the subplots and all the side quests and things they're there that you can pull them in at your own pace and if you don't want to find out why the canteen looks the way it does in system shop 2 or you don't care about bronson's story you don't have to so you get the central idea and it's only by actively looking for it that you get the surrounding context to get the the extra information, the stuff that makes the world seem a much bigger place. I was just thinking on the concept because you you gave up like the this one little side story of the security officer, her story told through many different elements, and I'm just wondering which of those constitutes showing, which of those constitutes tellings, because it's it's a very gray area within games themselves. Or is it just the concept that you are able to miss being more make it more showing rather than for, forcibly telling you? When I was when I was uh, getting my degree in poetry, when they when they talk about show versus tell, they would say that telling would be to say you know she's ugly, but showing would be to describe her face, or instead of saying somebody's evil, describe the person's acts that demonstrate the person's evil evil inside. That's what Corvus yeah. brought up in the article. It gives an example of it. Yeah, I guess the, the problem is how, I mean, show, don't tell, yeah, but how, how do you define do in that context? Because most of those are, are showing that another character is angry or ugly or whatever, but how do you do? Is it a case of what you do and their reaction to you defines their character? Is that how, how you would say it's doing as opposed to showing or telling? I think in terms of each individual element is telling you a different part. The order logs are telling you one side. The the embedded narrative in the environment is telling you another. The ghosts are telling you another. The, the voices in your ear from the people you believe to still be alive are telling you another. But it's how you choose to interpret and combine them that is the case of the game showing, or is it the case of you actively being involved and thus doing as opposed to showing or telling. 
So you're putting together this log with this ghost with this image and going, ah, this is what happened and this is this happened. A good example yeah. of the game yeah. showing supposedly would be that you, you find the body with two bullets left. Uh, and yeah. it's a story without them having to say that there was a huge firefight. You see bullet holes. You don't necessarily need yeah. a cutscene or an audio diary or something like that to say that there was a big firefight and fought for as long as she could and all that. You can put the pieces together yourself, and that's that's where it's showing instead of telling. I think this brings up the question of how narrative in games in general works, or rather what the sort of master narrative mode of video games actually is, if you can say that there is such a thing, that every kind Mm -hmm. of game, in a way. But what makes this different than, say, televisual narrative, where it's just an insert of those two bullets? You know, it's still an environment, it's still the way we communicate through pictures. I don't see the difference between showing and telling. The point is, in a, in a TV show, if it wants to show you, if it's going to show you the same thing in a TV show, it'll give you a close-up of the dead body, it'll give you a close-up of the gun and the bullet holes, so you can't miss it. Whereas in System Shock 2, you could totally ignore the body, or you could just grab the, see the body, grab the ammo, and not pay attention to anything around it, not understand the context of where she is, of who she is, of the fact that there's bullet holes around. It's forced at you. None of this is, you know, big neon signs saying, this is important, this is the plot point. That you can choose to totally like be oblivious to the whole thing and it's only if you are engaged with what's going on and are choosing to like pay attention to the world that you get that this is Bronson and this is where she died and this is what became of the woman who ordered the execution of loads of people. Further example would be if uh, in a detective TV show instead of just showing you zooming in on different clues in the room you could have a, a detective back in the police headquarters explaining what all means at the same time as a voiceover or something like that. Yeah, like it'll show you the things and then it'll have the voiceover going, and this was really important and I found this. It takes away any participation in like un- uncovering the narrative. You just kind of like go, okay, right, fine, this is important, this is important, this is important. But, I mean, the story of Bonson, I'm not going to forget pretty much forever because I worked it out and I found out and I put the pieces together and realised, oh my God, this is what happened to her and like this is who she became. And I had a whole character arc through the space of one level of who this person was. And it's because I put it all together that, it, that it's something I'm not going to forget, whereas I can forget the plot of numerous films simply because they were forced at me, they were told to me, and I had no real engagement in developing that narrative, in learning what happened. As a storyteller, if I were to be a game designer, why would I want to be a game designer? Why would I use this medium if all the power is given to the player, but it's a story I want to tell, how do we solve this crisis between, say, the Japanese picture book model we've come up with and this other model we've come up with? In a way, a uh, kind of problem a lot of role-playing game masters come up with oftentimes, uh, whether you just go ahead and design a story that's ignorable by the players or whether you design a world where uh, the players can kind of explore their own stories at, at their own liking. I think there's a couple different uh, problems besides to this. And the first is that there are, there, there are, the designers are also pressured to make the story ignorable so that you can make it all the way through. And if you're just going for a challenge or something like that, or you want mindless fun, you can still have that. But on the other hand, uh, there are strengths inherent to the medium. When I was uh, studying poetry or studying art, they'd say, if you want to to write an essay, write an essay. Essays are good for, you know, communicating certain things in certain ways. Don't try to force an essay into a poem format. And I think that's the real trick, is to for the designers to realize what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do it. And the strength of interactive storytelling is exactly the... Like we were just saying, you, you remember some of these stories 
because you had to take a part in understanding them. It's uh, the old Confucius quote was, I, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, but I do and I understand. The more <laughs> yeah. uh, engaged you are in, in the actual figuring out of the story and in the story itself, the more resonance it's going to have with you internally. I completely agree. That's what I've been. That's what I've been saying for weeks. That I that I do think video games that we're trying to push old narrative tropes into video games, and I don't think that that can actually work. I think you have to. We have to figure out what new type of story can be told in video games because the old ones just don't do it. Don't take advantage of everything that's possible. But a few games that have come out is like. Half-Life, Half-Life 2, I'd, I'd say Left 4 Dead, System Shock 2, they all tell a very different type of story than what you normally find in any other medium, and that is why those work especially well. They take advantage of what they can in the medium and create a very unique story to video games. Corvus Elrod and his article, Don't Show, Don't Tell, from last year, is like at the very end, he, he comes up with, so perhaps the rule of video games ought to be, let me do, don't show, don't tell. Let's look at new games that sort of do both of what Corvus says. Um, Braid and Flower, which have arguably very deep narratives, but very different ways of approaching them. Um, how do we contend? Like, Is there space for these two in the gamer sphere? I say Flower did it more than Braid did, because Braid has those long expo- exposition things that bookend uh, at the levels. You, you can view those as mostly to tell you what's going on with the new mechanic in the level, and less about an actual coherent narrative. Yeah, and ultimately they serve as, as, as a context for the upcoming world, as like something to think about when you play the next world. Well, there's been lots of interpretations. I think yeah. that's part of the fun. But yeah, but for Flower, absolutely. You the narrative is almost is more metaphorical than anything else, and you can only get that by doing by going through it and exploring the levels, by catching as many petals as you can, messing around with. I think that's, that's particularly what my dad likes to likes it so much that he, he can just sit there and futz with the thing and have fun. I mean, there's, there's nothing explicit in Flower. I don't mean explicit in like a mature sense. I mean explicit in that too. You do get deflowered if you hit the electricity, though. Does that mean something? Oh, thank. Oh, like I. Knew. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, so yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what that's about, but it's a bit. You know, whatever you wanna, you wanna take from it. That's what it is. I wonder if that's where games are, are headed. Maybe not the AAA blockbuster titles, but like even the smaller indie games where it's much more about metaphorical interpretation when it comes to the story through the act of doing, of act, the act of playing. And if that's not where games can reach their full storytelling potentials. Well, I think the trick is that in Flower, um, in order to make the player the, the driver of all the action, they need to make sure nothing happens to the player. The, the player isn't the recipient of anything. And that's that's where things like uh, Metal Gear run into problems, is because things are constantly happening to Snake or around Snake, instead of Snake being the the agent of every action in the game, like in Flower. But Metal Gear tells a very standard story that you could find in movies, you can find in books, while Flower is telling something that you, you can't find in other... Me- that you can't tell in other mediums. I think Flower actually is a more unique narrative to the video to video games than Metal Gear is. 
since I haven't, since I have neither played, uh, really bread nor flower, okay, played a bread demo, um, so, hmm, so we're getting at, at, at a point where playing the game actually constitutes, uh, uh, or rather builds up a narrative, so, um, long shot, could we compare the kind of narrative that's built up by flower to, to, um, maybe the narrative that's built up by a game like Civilization? When you, when you say that flower has a story that you couldn't put in a different format, I might disagree. It, you could put it in a children's book. It just wouldn't have the same resonance because it's, it'd be a, a very simple story still, but without the, the sense of uh, the emotional gravitas that comes with uh, being part of the story. Unless it was an amazing children's book, which I have seen many like that, actually. Oh, yeah. There are a few of those. The thing about Flower is it's not a plot so much as it's an arc. It's like, it's not this happens, then this happens, then this happens. It's more a kind of, yeah, it's an arc. It's, it's a, you go from here through here to here. I mean, you look at most narratives there, this happens and this happens, and it's got like the first act, the second act, the third act reversal and all this. And Flower's just an idea. You play, you go through the idea. I wonder though if that's where video games are headed in that instead of having narratives telling you facts, because that's basically what a plot is. It tells you a fact, and then it tells you another fact, and it just comes together in a cohesive plot. If a video game shouldn't end up asking questions and allowing the player to just run around and see if they can find their own answer. That's Noby Noby Boy, isn't it? Trying to find your own answers and playing around and freaking out your significant other. Another example. I just assumed Noby Noby Boy was getting all Freudian and eating your own head and stuff with that. Oh, now you have expansion where you can eat your friend's butt, if that makes you feel better. So, I see us trading away from gearing narratives and going more into game essays. And that's sort of the games that you're talking about when you're saying how they're metaphors and they're about ideas. Rather than narratives, they're more essays. Well, it's what you it's what you get out of the game that, uh, that constitutes it. Like, you could get out... That, like, a normal story to, like from movies or books that, that I think a lot of video games are getting their uh, narrative chops from are always sending information your way. They're always telling you in one way or another, this is how the story progresses, this is what's happening, and then there's points in between that says, okay, what are you going to do about it? But don't go too far to the left, don't go too far to the right, because you still have to end up at this point so you can start the next section. That's where games have problems too, right? Is the word we have dissonance of whatever kind, ludo narrative or otherwise. They, they they have you start within a, a certain range of personalities or characters or whatever, and they they intend you to all end at the same point, no matter what you do in between. Whereas a game like Civilization or even a a sports simulation, a, a Madden or a FIFA or something like that, starts. You get to pick a spot where you start, but you have a very broad range of where you could end up. Well, that's emergent narrative, and I knew this was going to come up. Where the player tells their own, the player tells their own story is like what comes out of it, which Far Cry Two has to be said. I feel that we're cutting hairs between these games that we would call art and actually interactive art, which is doing much the same way it's the kind of idea it's saying. And how I mean, do, would we want to say interactive art has a narrative? They'll say same way we would say that Flower or these other games that show ideas have narrative. I guess, and um, I'm hoping I'm not putting words in his mouth, but I guess Corvus would probably say that everything is a narrative, or everything has narrative. 
we naturally like storify everything we do. I mean, if you you tell us you tell the events of your day to somebody, you you naturally dramatize it and put it into a narrative context. You you give it a beginning, a middle, and an end, and whether it was dramatic or not, you present it as a drama, as a narrative. And so any anything that's trying to present a theme, we're naturally inclined to try and make it into a story because stories are the way we understand the world. I mean, that's what stories were originally, I suppose, were ways of communicating situations and teaching. And, you know, when Ugg and Ugg sat around the campfire talking about, you know, <laughs> the... Uh, the mammoth that they killed or whatever, because my history is clearly anywhere near accurate, um, they they probably storified it and made it sound more dramatic than it was. But what they were doing was anything that tries to present a theme, we try and storify. That's at least how I see it. No, I completely agree. I agree with that too. I think, you know, we're going into procedural narrative and emergent narrative again. But if, if I was an author and if I was trying to tell a story, you know, how would I, you know, deal with this fact how would i deal with this approach in game design well if you're the author and you want to prescribe a story then you're in the wrong medium because as an as an author you probably well it's 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 one of these cushions i'm um regularly having when discussing um tabletop role-playing it's it's that when you're designing a such game you're you're better off not being an author but rather being being a designer of a game you you shouldn't try to tell a story but you should give the players the um the tools to tell their story and that's that i think is is the more important and more um well definitive path games or gaming as as a whole should go down or not necessarily it even has to go that far you don't even have to because it comes down to the point where you don't have to tell a story but you have to create one and like system shock 2 or bioshock you just leave it around you you create the story but then just leave it there i don't think you necessarily have to tell the player you just have but you do have to create it so uh gameplay as archaeology then <laughs> well that's for that for a certain type of story but that's of course that's only that only works for a certain type of story where things happen in the past and you have to figure yeah. out what happened um we're talking well, i mean we've been talking about like basically narratives that fit the medium and i think it's interesting to look at some films and some books where clearly the creators have been trying to do things that maybe didn't fit the medium that brilliantly it it feels like it's it's pushing against like the boundaries of film. But what about something like that in a game context though? You can change the way time works in a game. You can there's there's no laws of like causality that you have to abide by. I mean you can you can have something that you look at it and it's there. One when you look at it, you turn away, you turn back, and it's not there. And you can have all these like ways of playing with time and playing with causality in in an interactive environment that you can't have without a lot of tricks and a lot of like careful editing and stuff in a film i just think there's there's a type of narrative that some other medium have mediums have tried that i think gameplay and interactive media are better suited to and that's about exploring situations and exploring um events i want to go to lurian who's been talking a lot about rpgs and this seems, is, is there a way we can have RPGs with this kind of narrative? Do you think so, Tolerian? Or do you think they're set in their system design and storytelling so much that's, no, you know, it's dinosaur-ish? 
the thing is, you can do pretty much anything with an RPG. The question is how. And the question, the question is that, that there are a lot of factors that that um, work into that work into it. It's how you plan it, how you game master it, how how your players are conditioned in a way. That 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 always comes in comes out ultimately in, into play. And so you could, in theory, you could uh, just as a game master you could just create a world and not have any intention for a story or, or events even to yes eventually happen but just uh just just set a sort of big uh bag of chances of events to happen and then just let the players lose on the world and see where they go with it uh, i know a lot of um game masters who do that it's quite time intensive to um to, to prepare that because they go to great lengths that it's all just down to plausible ways the world works and and, thing, and things like that but at the end of the day they are not really going into their narrative if we want to call an RPG, RPG playing an, uh, a form of narrative, which it definitely is, uh, they don't go into into their narrative with the intention of telling set kind of story. I see that evolving more into open world games or even MMOs. Do we want to address that and how narrative is structured for those kinds of games? At least maybe for MMOs more so. Just throw throw a, like a concept out there and see. Uh, as as Tom was talking, I was thinking, imagine something like GTA 4. But you don't play Nico. I mean, Nico Nico's story progresses as it progresses, and Roman's story progresses as it progresses. But you just play some guy, and you can explore the world and interact with Nico and Roman and all the other characters how you choose, and their stories change um, depending on what you do. Isn't that the um, Godfather game where, <clears throat> where you're just some guy and you're following around the Corleone family? No, but, well, so maybe, second but, second person storytelling. I mean, the original time I thought of it was in terms of like a ticket. Dickens had a, like a wonderful habit of just creating all these characters that existed and how they interacted was like you just get this really detailed, incredible character who would appear for like maybe three or four chapters and disappear again. And imagine if you were playing that and instead of like choosing to follow the main story, you chose well this character is really interesting. I'm going to just go off and see go with him and see what his story is like. So you're just like an agent of chaos dropped into this world and you can interact with whoever you want and change their story. And and so you're not the central character in the world anymore. You're just a guy. The cro- and that, the that, about doesn't seem, that doesn't seem too different than... Uh, but it would but it'd be just the same. It'd be just the same except you're no longer the savior of the world that's some other guy but you're still uh, con- you still have you'd still have to follow a straight narrative you'd still follow all the conventions in normal video games you just wouldn't be the most important person in fact i think that was already done in a uh, infinite okay. undiscovery where you just happened to be some guy and they confused you for about 5 minutes with the savior of the world and once they realized you weren't they'd said well come along anyway you can watch us do stuff and you ended up playing the entire game that way I don't think that I don't think that would be entirely too, too different, other than just a character change. Well, that's the that's the you know conflict that we have with MMOs. How can you be a secondary character and the protagonist? Well, you know, at the same time. I guess what I was thinking of: Do you need to be the protagonist? And it wasn't so much a case of you were just you're just not the most important thing. You're just a guy, and you can become like really important to these people if you choose to help them. 
or not, but it's like you don't have to you don't have to follow Nico's store, you don't have to follow this other guy's store. You can go your own way and all these people are still interacting and still doing what they're doing and it's basically how you interact with them changes their plans and changes the narrative and so everything's based on how you go about doing what you're doing in the world. And if you choose to go one way that'll affect whoever you affect and their stories will change. If you choose to go another way, that'll affect them and their stories will change. And mm. I guess that's how an MMO works. But an MMO has the, the thing where it tries to make you the most important thing in the world. And I just wonder if it'd be more interesting if it basically said, none of you are that important. Just get on with it. And as you, who you choose to, to party with and who you choose to raid with and all these things determine who becomes the more important people in the world. I don't think that's true. I think the very fact that you have, that you're acting as this character, you're the one controlling him. He may not be the most important person in the world story-wise, but frankly, he is the most important person because he's you. You are that character, and that's true for MMOs. You may not be the most powerful person. You may not go on the most grandest of quests, but frankly, in the MMO, to you, you are the most important person in the world because it's you. Whoever is whoever's point of view you're following the action through is the protagonist. A few stories that try to play with that, but in the end, you're still the protagonist. It's your point of view, it's your worldview, and you are the most important person in this story because it's from your point of view. But what about something like, you know, the original Star Wars? Arguably, the protagonist of that is Luke, but the point of view characters are the droids, and it's not really their story. I mean they're along for the ride for, for all three of them and yet the protagonist is I would argue that I would argue that it isn't the droids I would ar- argue that the point of view is more of a third person omniscient because there are long, long stretches of it where the droids aren't there you're in the garbage compactor you're in the detention center you go and follow Darth Vader for a while I would say it's more omni- I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the droids are the point of view well, the droids are there, like many stories that we have, are points of entry for the audience. Um, if you look at any TV series or any movie, there is a character that is a point of entry to get these larger-than-life protagonists that you eventually begin to identify with. That's a tool of storytelling. And I could see that actually working in games the way Justin um, described before. Oh, so there, are, there are a few games that uh, try to let you uh, be a be an NPC, as it were, or to switch around your characters and to not necessarily be the primary character. Um, the trick is that you're, you as a player are still going to want your actions to have some effect on the, the world around you. If, when they open, they open up the box for you to do anything you want, they need to be able to make, the designer needs to be able to anticipate what you're going to do and be able to have the world react realistically to that. And uh, without confining you to sort of a set character or a set group of characters that you can be, that becomes very, very complicated, which is why it works much better for a tabletop role-playing experience, for example, uh, to have a somebody sitting there who can immediately react and say, oh, well, then I'll take a note that this is going to happen in an hour, you know, that other plot line that they ignored. Because the designer uh, in a video game isn't necessarily going to be able to understand the, that that's going to happen when the player plays. That's the limits of technology. It's like I think that's like what every designer would love to try and do, have a fully responsive world to 
even to the minorest and have it be realistically responsible rather than be big sweeping changes. That's like the holy grail of game design. Unless you, you have some sort of uh, sandbox um, game master tool level design thing that's that's um, with which a, a real you know, human game master could play with with the with the players, so so to, so to speak. So um, kind of creating an analog to RPG role playing in um in video gaming, but I don't I don't really see that happening anytime soon. It seems that we've all come to a consensus that the experimental way to approach narrative in gaming is probably best. But that's for any art medium. Like any artist in film or painting would say the experimental way is the best way. Um, the problem we're having right now is trying to fit the traditional way of narrative into gaming, and we still haven't found a perfect complement that we all agree on for that. And I think that's good. I don't think we need to actually, you know, have a fixed way. Um, and we both like have explained that the show and tell approaches are good, and they work best when they're mixed, actually. Or rather, that narrative mode of gaming can is more than just that. It can be really explored just through showing and telling. That there is, yeah, I know it's 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 kind of a lame excuse way of copping out on on, on the whole question, but that it's more than just the sum of the parts. The narrative uh, that's constructed by playing a game. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up our discussion. I would like to thank all of our cast. Eric Swain, thanks. Yo. I do have to congratulate Eric for um, Eric Hansen for bringing our first like sexual connotation joke because we wouldn't be a gaming podcast without it. Well, uh, didn't Ben say when we started the the uh, critical distance idea that he wanted to make sure it wasn't too highbrow? <laughs> too <laughs> no, hilarious. but he also did say he wanted to be professional. Oh right, he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> he's over in Australia. He can't touch me. <laughs> thanks for having me. I apologize. Justin Caburn, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, cheers, it's been fun. And Tellurian, it was a pleasure having you on. Yeah, nice being here. Um, you can check out all of our blogs on the show notes, which will be posted, as well as the articles we mentioned in this podcast. Um, come to the IRC channel, the Free Note server. The room is GB Confab if you want to continue the discussion. And um, I think that's about it. Thanks for coming, and we'll see you all next week. Welcome to episode two of the CDC podcast. I'm your producer. I'll change that to episode three. <laughs> Should we spell that one again? No, no. It's, I'll edit it. Don't worry. No, no. Start okay. it again. Just okay. We can't go back now. It's gone too far. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, 30 seconds. Welcome to the CDC podcast, episode two. I'm your producer, Demond Curry. What? Uh, God. <laughs> Son of a... Let me write this down. <laughs> Episode three. This is more fun than Twitter. This is early for you. It's maybe we should maybe we should just um decide to rename the whole uh, episode two. Okay. As in so two episodes one or something. Okay. Okay.
episode two is always the best episode. Yes, it is. Star Wars, so. We are in a silly mood today. <laughs> uh.